Everyone's problematic. I'm problematic. <laughs> I'm a cis white guy. Of course I'm problematic. <laughs> Welcome to Tencent Takes, the show where we contaminate crime scenes one issue at a time. My name is Jessica <laughs> Frazier, and I am joined by my co-host, the revolutionary reader, Mike Thompson. God. Wow, we're mood. <laughs> Big mood. <laughs> well, it's really good that our families don't listen to this show, man. <laughs> man. Yeah, my parents couldn't give a shit that I have hobbies that include audio formats they're like that's nice (laughs) well if you're new to the show our main episodes drop every other week and provide in-depth looks into interesting moments in comic books and how they tie into pop culture and history but today is one of our dollar bin discoveries mini episodes that we do in between those deep dives We spend a lot of time rooting through dollar bins at local shops, looking for interesting stuff, and while a lot of the issues we find are fun and weird, there may not be enough for us to do a deep dive on at the moment, but we do always reserve the right to change our mind later. Each episode will feature both of us talking about one random issue we came across in the dollar bins, one that fits a theme one of us chose, (laughs) my theme this evening, was (laughs) cops and comics. Uh, <laughs> man so many things we could talk about i knew that you'd have plenty of things to choose from with that yeah. topic so we will talk about what each comic is what goes on inside it and why it's interesting so these are mini episodes that are meant to provide you with some weekly content between our more in-depth discussions about the weirder and more interesting moments of comic book history so, Mike, what siren are you screaming oh, at us man. today? I mean, we should note that I had to double check with Jessica because <laughs> because when she proposed this, I was like, oh, I've got the perfect comic. And then I thought about it and I went, I may have given a copy of this comic to Jessica as well. You sure as hell did. <laughs> and so I was like, mm. I think that was one that I picked up for you at the Harvey Doss sale. I think it was. But yeah, so I, I was like, okay, so I'll find something else. And then I the second choice, I was like, ooh, problematic creator. Maybe we're not going to talk about that. So I wound up picking up Dark Minds number one. It was published by Image Comics in July of 1998. It was penciled, plotted, inked, and colored by Pat Lee, written by Adrian Sang. Additional inking was done by Alvin Lee and Alan Tram. Separations by Angelo Sang, Background Assists by Lou Kang, and edited by Pat Lee's brother, Roger Lee. And this comic was apparently the first book put out under the brothers Pat and Roger Lee's Dreamwave Productions imprint. Pat had been a part of Rob Liefeld's Extreme Studios prior to this, before he started to start his own one. And this is a pretty cool punch to lead with. Like, it's a cyberpunk noir mystery with illustrations that... I'm not making this up. They look like stills out of like a high end anime movie. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I've been piecing this series together via the dollar bins over the last couple of years. I actually found 
the Dynamic Forces gold variant at Harvey Doss's first anniversary oh. sale last year. I know you love a gold variant. Holy shit. I love a gold variant, man. And I like Sarah found it and she was like, you like gold? I'm like, oh, yeah, this was like a series that I kept on meaning to like really look into. They had so many variant covers, too, for the first couple of issues. It's wild. Nice. But yeah, I think we should at some point talk about Dreamwave and the stuff they were doing because this was the late 90s and nobody was putting out really high-end comics that looked like this. And they had a lot that were coming out. Like They opened with this and then they just kept on delivering hit after hit for a little while. And then... Like they, they were able to finagle that into like the Transformers license for, I want to say six or seven years before IDW got it. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Good for them. All right. Anyway, back on track. The story <laughs> opens up in the year 2032 in the city of Macropolis. Macropolis is a neon soaked cluster of skyscrapers, and we're told it is a city five miles high with a population of seven million people. So, it's a city that never sleeps. But that said, at least one person isn't going to wake up. And in one of the high rise offices, which actually it looks a lot like like one of the ones out of Blade Runner, where it's like the pyramid on top of a high rise. Oh, no. Like, it was kind of yeah. cool. We end up seeing a nebbish dude working late at his desk. And as he's going over files, he hears the ominous words time to die. And he understandably freaks out. He looks around for a minute trying to figure out who was speaking. And then it's just like, I I must have imagined this because I'm working too hard. And then he sits back down and we see a hand touch his shoulder. And then this is like genuinely freaky. He is suddenly restrained by this mass of like, it's like tumor like growths, like coming out of his chair. And then there is a face pushing out of the chair right behind his head under the fabric, which, you know, it's no, it's, it's like, it's like that effect of like when you see ghosts pushing out from the wall and stuff. I hate it. I hate it. It's great. It's it's an <laughs> incredible image. I hate it in a good way. Yeah. So he manages to grab a gun from his desk and he fires it over his shoulder into the face. And then like all of a sudden everything vanishes. He's able to get out of the chair, which is now ruined, but there's nothing there. So he's freaked out and he's like, I've got to be having a dream. It's a nightmare. I can't wake up run. And then he is suddenly lifted into the air and dies this like gruesome death where like his eyes get you know, pushed out and stuff like that. And it Ooh. honestly, this feels almost like a precursor for how Vecna was killing people in the latest season of stranger things where it's like, okay. you know, they get lifted up, their eyes get popped out, like their limbs go all over the place. Right. All that stuff. And then hours later, emergency services are on scene and we meet agent Nagawa from the special investigations unit. He is told to go up to the 53rd floor, but not before a reporter speaking through. It's basically like a media drone tries to grill him and she says it sounds like this is paradox striking again and that his body count is skyrocketing nagawa when he's asked for a quote puts out his cigarette on the drone's microphone and then goes up to the office oh. <laughs> and yeah so you know we're getting like kind of the hard-boiled you know kind of special investigation detective vibe from him right so nagawa gets in the elevator and an agent briefs him about what he's about to walk into and how the authorities are deeming it a quote creative suicide and the guy was like, I'm sorry, what? And they're like, well, right. wait till you'll see it. So he walks into this very crowded crime scene where the body is slumped over a desk. He gets told that he's been called in for nothing since this is a suicide. And he immediately makes a joke about how the victim clearly killed himself because his office chair was having an affair with his couch and he just couldn't stand it. Classic office furniture love triangle. 
It's just like, all right. I was like, I don't know if you're like the worst or the best because that could go either way. And I kind of like that joke. Oh, my gosh. But then he spots a shirt button on the ground. And so he is like, you need to lift up the body because it's slumped over a desk. And so they they lift him up and they see that the guy's shirt was ripped open. And there is this kind of like sinister arcane mark carved into his torso. And it confirms that this is indeed the work of Paradox. And then the next day at SIU headquarters, Nagawa is talking to his boss who says last night's victim was working for an administrative front that conducts a number of covert operations around the city. And because of that, the guy was well positioned and sort of like the government shadow hierarchy. And as mm-hmm. a result, the mayor's office is really keen to solve his death. And so agent Nagawa is getting a new Parker agent, Nikiko, who is this like all around badass cyborg who specializes in psionic investigation. Oh. Nikiko, it has to be said is also a knockout. Like she is very pretty. She's very built. Like, they emphasize like, you know, that she is very fit and she's got a very good body. But I will say that when she is introduced, she is in like a collared shirt and like just slacks. Okay. But they're very tailored. So it's, you know, it, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, OK, I get it. Like I said, it feels like an anime where I'm like, yeah, like, again, kind of catering to the male gaze a little bit. But at the same sure. time, like, it's all right. Yeah, so as they're walking out, Nagawa is trying really hard not to ogle her, and she actually calls him out on it as they walk down the hall and basically just embarrasses him. Fucking like, good. Yeah, because like it's one of those things where it's like, he's sitting there and she's like, can she actually read my mind? Like, you know, but like, she's really hot and I don't want to like, you know, give her that identity. And she like looks at him and she's like, oh yeah, and she gives him her breast measurements because he was clearly trying not to look at him. Oh, good Lord. I was like, I'm actually kind of like, okay with that joke because it's just calling out what a douche is. Right, exactly. No, I get it. "Mm." So the two go to the morgue where they get confirmation that the mark on the body is indeed Paradox's calling card. And then Nikiko connects the corpse's brain to investigate further. There's too much damage and the computer disconnects her to protect her from neural feedback. Nagawa then takes his new partner home and they are blitzed by the media about the investigation. And then things cut to an interlude where some random guy is watching the two of them on multiple screens. And then when he sees Nikiko, he starts having information on her brought up. And then we go back to the main story. They are at Nikiko's apartment. The two partners talk for a few minutes where Nikiko explains how she is not actually a psychic. She's just connected to a mainframe computer that can analyze data that she sends back and looks for anomalies, which then would let her create mental fingerprints for like psionic crimes. So it sounds cool, even if it makes no sense. It like it right. lends a little bit of science to the, like this whole idea. And I'm yeah. like, I, I was like, oh, that kind of no, wait, that doesn't check out at all. <laughs> That's OK. Pseudoscience is fine for comics. Yeah. And Nagawa, like originally is like, well, like, are you mind reader? And she's like, it didn't take a mind reader to tell what you were thinking then in the office, <laughs> nor does it take a mind reader to realize you're still thinking about that. And he's right. just like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> He goes to grab a cookie from her cookie jar and then finds it's actually full of shotgun shells. He tells her that she a needs help and that he'll see her tomorrow. And then she goes to bed only to be woken up a few hours later by someone at her front door. She looks through her peephole and it's a dude in a ski mask with a gun aiming for her. She manages to get her cybernetic arm in time to catch the bullet. There's a shootout. She ends up shooting the shotgun shell cookie jar. Just the guy walks past it, which then hits a gas main. And it causes an explosion and to be continued. Oh. Like, 
<laughs> it's like a police procedural investigation. I kind of dug it because it's leaning really hard into those hard-boiled detective tropes. Totally. But yeah, like I have to say this was a really fun first issue. Like it's all the best noir detective tropes in a story. The mystery itself feels really creepy and the art is, I mean, stunning. It is absolutely gorgeous. This is seriously one of the best looking comics I've read and it is now coming up on 30 years old. Wow. Okay. We'll have to check it out. Yeah. Like now, spoiler alert, Pat Lee has become pretty, I'm not going to say despised, but he is not well liked in the comics industry, largely because he wound up being a pretty shitty dude to work for. And he really fucked over a lot of creators in terms of payment later on, right before his company folded. But that came to light in the mid aughts. And I have to say that for the time for what they were doing, this is an incredible book for a startup studio to put out as their first piece, like absolutely stunning in terms of production values. And I can understand why everybody wanted to work for them and why they were able to get such high profile projects later on. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds gorgeous. Yeah. But the good news is that these issues are actually pretty easy to find. I've come across a ton of Dark Minds issues everywhere. I've also found trade paperbacks of it pretty easily. So yeah, we should probably do a full length episode about this at some point. I'm into it. Absolutely. All right. So I know what you're talking about, but for the listeners at home, please illuminate us as to what you're talking about today. I actually changed mine. No, I'm just joking. Wouldn't that be messed up? God damn it, Jessica. I know. No, I didn't. Don't worry. <laughs> so, yes, I know you were going to do this. This is DC's cops, obviously. Mm -hmm. Obviously. <laughs> Their tagline on the front is fighting crime in a future time. <laughs> have, so... you, have you actually ever seen the cartoon this is based on? No, I don't think so. <sighs> You're killing me, Smalls. Oh my gosh, do I need to go watch this shit? Because I don't want to. Yeah, no. No, no, no. Okay, we're... So, I am going to make you right now, you need to watch the intro to the Cops cartoon. Fucking hell, all right. Cops, central organization of police specialists. Fighting crime in a future time. Protecting Empire City from Big Boss and his gang of crooks. Fucking love this song too. Oh my god, it's so extra. Picking up a whole car. No. <laughs> and then the laser bazooka. It's very good. The freaking infrastructure. I love that. Yep. Wow. They were sure true to the cartoon. Or to the comic. It's crime yep. fighting time. Oh, good lord. Yeah, so that was Bulletproof, the guy who was the leader of the cops. And yes. I love how they clearly just based him on Superman. Like he's even got like the Superman cowlick in the front of his hair. Right. Right. Exactly. Same jawline, like same body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
I loved this toy line when I was a kid, probably because I was related to cops. Right. And also, it was kind of like G.I. Joe and sci-fi and police all molded into one thing. And I was like, yeah, this hits my Venn diagram sweet spot. But yeah, it. I've gone back and watched those cartoons. They are not good. Shocking. You'll be surprised to hear. <laughs> wow. Based on the comic, I am so shocked by that. <laughs> Where the villain is named Big Boss. Yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, and the other one's named Bad Vibes. Oh, yeah, no, it's... Mm. Which, it's like, okay, no, actually, it that has aged very well. Yeah. Mm. The Bad Vibes I like title. That. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry to, to derail okay. the conversation and take it over, but you needed to watch that no, intro. I, I did, though. You're correct. So, the comic was written by Doug Munch, art by Pat Broderick and Pablo Marcos, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Gene D'Angelo, and edited by Andrew Helfer published by DC in August of 1988. So the comic starts with a team of robots with brains in glass domes at the tops of their heads robbing a bank. They get away with a comically large bag of cash, and the person leading them named, you guessed it, Dr. Vad Vibes. <laughs> He's the one that has the brain like exposed, right? He like, also has a brain dome. Yeah. 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 He's just so proud of his brain. He felt like he needed to like show it to the world. Like that's not so like faux pas. Come on now. <laughs> you don't have your thong showing and you don't show your brain. Okay. Those are the two rules <laughs> in our society. We live in a society. We have rules. <laughs> so Dr. Bad Vibes decides that he wants to ingratiate himself to the city's baddest boss. Mr. Big Boss. <laughs> that is the character's name. So he shows up at the boss's location with this big bag of cash, like larger than a car, and just hands all of it over, asking to be in his gang. And mm -hmm. Big Boss tells him that he will need to otherwise prove himself, like bringing the biggest bag of cash he could possibly have isn't enough, I guess, before he would be able to join. And gives him direction to go work on an evil device, some nebulous command, right? And he's like, go use the money from the mountain of cash you just brought in. So he then sends his other members of his gang to do some looting and gives them all really specific things that he wants. So for one of them, he's like, go find me ice. And she goes and loots a diamond store. He asks another mm -hmm. one for a new coat. And so he, they're stealing furs. And another he asks for a leash for his weasel. And so this person steals like <laughs> this like strand of diamonds, you know. Oh, this will make a nice leash, you know, kind of a stupid thing. Yeah. Which, I mean, like, if we could get diamonds for our dogs, we would. I mean, 100%. Yeah, Carl would love that shit. <laughs> Carl asked me to put his, like, his... Halloween wings on him earlier and he just like walked around the yard for a couple minutes I was like Good. okay my guy whatever he's funny I mean we've all seen the TikTok videos of Carl getting fed foam milk oh, he Carl he's a gem speaking of diamonds mm -hmm. <laughs> so there are just like a bunch of goons coming back with all this stuff and they're like we kind of don't need this doctor guy but big boss was like let's just see what he comes up with so we now get special agent vests in the picture and he's with the feds, but he's, he's not like other feds. He's a manic pixie dream fed. God damn it, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets in there. He's talking to the local officer. It's like, I know it might feel like I'm stepping on toes, but I'm not like that. I'm not <laughs> oh like other feds. 
not like other feds. So he starts working with local law enforcement to figure out the crime spree, basically. So we get the backstory on the fact that Big Boss was a twin, but his twin brother was sent to prison and subsequently died there, like pretty quickly. And so he's definitely mm-hmm. not a fan of the five as it were. So Vess ends up getting blasted by Big Boss's gunners and he's put in the hospital and he like refuses to get treatment until he like assembles the perfect team, which is like generated from a computer. He's like, we have to wait mm-hmm. for the eight names. We have to get everybody assembled. Okay, listen up. Like, <laughs> this isn't the Avengers. Like, calm down. <laughs> you can you can get taken care of. And he's like, no, I can't. So yeah. He waits until all of these people get assembled, which is like, you know, of course, the way that we get introduced to all of these characters. They go to all these places. They track them down. So they end up getting Bullseye, who had like flying equipment, Barricade, who's dressed basically like Robocop, mm-hmm. Mace, who's a SWAT style guy with like big old guns and like also big old guns. Yeah. Sundown. Oh, I hate that name. I fucking mm. hate that name. Yeah, that's a name that has not aged well. No, he's a cowboy type, like, white guy yep. with a mustache. Yeah, yep. not great. Rex Pointer is the next guy with his robo-dog Blitz. And he does make <laughs> fun of his own name, by the way. Yeah. Then we have David E. Harlson. He yeah. rides a motorcycle. I hate it. I fucking hate it. <laughs> I hate everything about it. I Yeah. Yeah. Fucking man. Okay, anyway. So, I've got some big opinions. Big big opinions. So, then there was PJ O'Malley who was like one of the local officers in the precinct. Of course, there was a local guy who was like one of the best, but he's just like a cop. <laughs> he's just like a cop. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has yeah. like big weapons and shit and he's like the normie cop he's the one that has like spats on his uniform right he might like his whole outfit his vibe is kind of like old school cop but like a little more costumey like and he's got like the white trim on his yeah yeah yeah. so yes it is that yeah it is like that yeah yeah so there's also another rookie officer named donnie brooks who did not make the cut and was very sad about it he's like but what about me like classic entitled white guy situation right (laughs) So they end up squaring off against Big Boss, Bad Vibes, and all of other Big Boss's henchmen. So they have some big fights. The baddies try to hit Vess, but it turns out that he's now bulletproof. And when things looked just about dire on the hero's side, another player comes in and swoops out the competition. And it was Donnie the Rookie. And he had help from the computer whiz Tina, and they ended up saving the day with Donnie and Tina being made official members of COPS and Tina giving Bulletproof his name. Mm-hmm. 100%. God fucking damn. Not only did it really just glorify all of these positions, like, I mean, in such an, a ridiculous way, but it just had such a, like, a black and white version of what crime is and, like, for what purpose. Well, if there's anything that the 1980s were known for, it was for subtlety and Good nuance. Lord, right? Yeah, yeah, big time, right? That's, that's how I came into this world. Subtle and nuanced. <laughs> <laughs> and I am to this day. <laughs> Good oh, Lord. Man. 
I mean, like in this narrative, crime is just a big boss with countless wealth already who is just in it to gain more. But crime doesn't really work like that in real life. And things are a bit more nuanced when you add in social class and other issues. And Vess kept talking about how he hated computers, even though he thought that they were necessary. And it was just so funny to me that like in this time of the future, as they put it, they would have this notion that computers aren't like a direct boon to the organization. And like looking back on it now, it's just really funny (laughs) because we just use them for everything now. Well, I mean, like, you know, you look at this is the same decade that we got those Superman Radio Shack comic. Right. You know, tie ins. Yeah. Computers by this point in time, like over the span of six or seven years, were exponentially more powerful than they had been at the start of the 80s. It is so amazing how much technology we have seen. Yeah. But at the same time, like they were those newfangled expensive things that, you know, that generation just didn't trust. Right, and, right, and still don't sometimes. I mean, yeah, <laughs> as opposed to my last <laughs> boss, where I was working with the CEO while he was like directly programming one of the sites that I was contributing to. Oh, yeah, big difference. Good lord. Yeah, oh, no. big difference. So, yeah, the story was super far fetched and it was really unnecessarily long. Like, it introduced so many baddies at the very beginning. It was like everybody had like a little like, this is where we're going to like steal this stuff. And like, it was a really just an excuse <laughs> to introduce all of like the bad characters. And there were like fucking seven of them or something. It was like too many. Well, yeah, they had to, sh- they had to show off all the characters that had action figures. Exactly. And so then it's like, then they had to show all of the people like a full page of like, this is when we picked up this person. And this is when we picked up this mm-hmm. person in the other town. And it's just like, good Lord. Man, but it's like... Well, this is like a double-sized issue, too, isn't it? It's a giant size one, for sure, yeah. But here's the thing. While they introduced so many characters, they developed none of them. Oh, no. <laughs> they just exist. They're like, this is who it is. There will yep. be no development. <laughs> no, and that's the whole thing, is like, all of these characters were always like, oh, okay, they have this ability and this look, and like, there's no depth. Like, there's no... no... There's, they're incredibly two-dimensional. Yeah. I will say it is kind of cool that this was like an action franchise where the leader was a person of color. Like, I will give it credit for that, which I think is cool. Absolutely. Yeah. We really didn't get to see them develop any further than seeing what they were packing, so to speak. Yeah. (laughs) So. This series lasted for a little while. I think they got up to like 15 or 16 issues. Did it really? Yeah. I'm actually really curious about it. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I took a nap (laughs) after this. (laughs) like i was i was exhausted like i was tired (laughs) yeah yeah i'm still a little drowsy i'm not gonna lie to you (laughs) that's fair should we should we let you go so you can get back to your nap oh my gosh i'm gonna go drink a beer what are you talking about (laughs) like i do anything healthy for myself i hate myself what are you talking about (laughs) i don't know you're gonna hang out with sarah and me tomorrow that's good for you i am that is good for me you know, and you're noodle. right. We're bringing Noodle with us to the to the antique fair in Petaluma. Oh, I don't think Carl wants to go. I think it'll be too much for him. It's almost too much for me. Noodle's <laughs> going to be in his wagon. It's going to be great. <gasps> noodle wagon. I think Carl mm-hmm. won't know what to do with a wagon, so we won't be. Yeah, Carl, I think he'll <laughs> stay home. He'll be napping. 9 a.m. is a little early for him. Fair. Being real. It's a little early for me. <laughs> no, real talk. Now that I don't have a, a real big person job anymore, I just like sleep 
until I want to get I, up. Man, I have three dogs that I have to take out for walkies in the morning, but I drag that out as long as possible. Like, I'm just like, I want to stay in bed. See, what you need is an enchanted accountant who has been turned into a dog, like mm. I have. Fair. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's probably it for our episode. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we will see all of you next week for, I don't know what topic it's going to be. Something. We're recording these all kinds of out of order and a couple at a time sometimes. <laughs> and so. Uh, yeah, man. Like. <laughs> episode number two tonight. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've got like a couple of other dollop and discoveries slotted in place. I don't know. It's. I don't know what's going on anymore. <sighs> it's chaos, man. <laughs> So we will see you next week for something deep divey. And after <laughs> that, a week after that, you will get another Dollar Bin Discovery. But you know what? Until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Jessica Frazier. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who you can find at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or now. The official podcast account is Tencent Takes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica spelled with a K, and Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky, and Hive. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. You can also send us mail now. We are at P.O. Box 940 in Pengrove, California, 94951 and Pengrove is spelled P-E-N-N-G-R-O-V-E Send us stuff. (laughs) If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop. Boom. All right.